With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into another episode yet again of Broncos Brawl. As always, I am Keegan Hartman. You can find me on Twitter at Keegan Hartman One. I know it's a very special name. We got a really special show today. Um, unfortunately, Alex could not be on today uh, per usual, but he will be on next week. In the meantime, first I would like to introduce to the show. He is the executive producer of the whole kit and caboodle, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Usaid Koshul, and you can find him on Twitter at Usaid Koshul. And how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Nice to finally get a chance to formally meet Byron. And you, <laughs> of course. Hey, thanks. <laughs> All right. And secondly, of course, that goes without saying, Mr. Byron Chamberlain, he's joining us on the show as well. Newest co-host to the Broncos Brawl family. And you can find him on Twitter as well, at BC underscore Chamberlain. Byron, how's your week been, man? Uh, Weekend, I guess. <laughs> it's been good. It's been really good. Um, I've been looking forward to uh, coming on board again and, and, and talking everything Broncos. Um, hey. I'm loving that, that uh, shirt you got on. Oh, M-I-Z. M-I-Z. We're in a yeah. good basketball game right now with LSU. Oh. Uh, and we, we still got the lead right now. So I'll, I'll be in attendance on the – I think the women are playing tonight, but the men, I will be in attendance uh, Saturday. It's at 5 p.m. Hopefully we can get it done. We're pretty in, inconsistent with uh, the SEC, so hopefully we can turn the ship around and uh, and get a win. That would be nice. That, w- that would be great, but let's uh, – Let's shift gears and talk Broncos, man. Let's do it. Most definitely. So I, I kind of, it's not off the beaten path, but I really just wanted to kind of bring it to attention. So this weekend, the XFL, of course, kicked off. And I'm not going to get too much into it because, again, this is Broncos Bro. We're going to talk Broncos. But I do want to touch on it a little bit. There was some Broncos talent to note. And I think it's kind of funny because of the th- any of the biggest things to happen during the XFL, arguably three of the biggest things surrounded Broncos, including Marquette King, who punted a 65-yard punt. It was a beautiful punt. It made me reminisce of times when he played for the Oakland Raiders and the Broncos. And uh, 
unfortunately, his hands team member did not, um, how you say, handle the punt correctly and actually fielded the Dallas. Uh, oh, man, the Dallas is uh, I can't remember the, the renegades. Uh, renegades. Thank you. They uh, they fielded them at the thirty five. And then you also had Dylan Day, a former offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos, who um, gave Diana Rossiti a little bit of a, a greeting, if you will, on the sideline after coming off and kind of getting into it with a D.C. defender. And then finally, Raheem Moore picking off for the first XFL interception in history of the game. Uh, uh, well, at least the, uh, re- the reboot, if you will, uh, picking off the first interception of the new era guys. I mean, what do you think of the XFL so far in general this weekend? Um, any moments that stood out to you before we get into real well, conversation? Well, first, first, I have to say, I needed Raheem Moore to make that interception versus Joe Flacco a few years <laughs> back in the playoffs. <laughs> that still stings. That still hurts. But uh, no, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity for young players and, and guys who have, may had stints in the league to try to uh, get some work and get some film and, and try to play their, their way back into the NFL. Um, and, and I know that I know the XFL isn't looking like looking at that. They're looking to kind of build their own brand. And, and, and like you said, rebooting this thing again. Uh, mm-hmm. And they, they want to have a successful run this time around. But you, you got to know that there's some talent out there. And you mentioned a few guys. Um, and I even thinking about uh, a few Mizzou guys that I saw out there. Coney Ely, yes, uh, who had a great Super Bowl against the Broncos. Yes, uh, he did. <laughs> in a losing effort. Uh, Ladamian uh, Washington playing mm-hmm. with the, the St. Louis team, and Marcus Marcus Lucas. So there's some there's some really good legit talent out there in this league, and that was the the big my biggest takeaway is that now this talent is getting opportunities to play because there's only so many spots available in the NFL. Yes, sir. You say what you got to say to that. <laughs> I definitely got to agree with Byron there. I mean, the NFL, there's like Byron said, there's only so many opportunities to really get a chance to showcase to the coaching staff that, hey, look, I belong on this 53-man roster. And this is just another opportunity for a lot of these players that you would have looked at that probably would not have made those 53-man rosters or would have gotten cut at some points. Another chance for them to go ahead and get their foot in the doors. So I'm also excited, kind of a not so traditional football because, you know, you're getting the interviews with the players on the sidelines after drives and then also just the unprecedented locker room access you get. So I'm excited to see where it uh, goes after awesome week one. I just I, I real quick before we move on to different things, I, I cannot what it would be like if the NFL had as much engagement on the sideline as the XFL does, because I feel like it would change the entire narrative of playoff games and especially Super Bowl. If the fans could have engagement uh, or more in depth uh, to the conversations of what the refs are talking about, of course, you referred to the fact that there's more engagement on the sidelines, but it just dawned on me. I'm like, that 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 would just be crazy. It would change the whole narrative of the NFL. <laughs> it definitely would. It, it it would it would you know you could understand you a lot of times what players are thinking, why they're thinking that, what what coaches are thinking, what why that they're making some of the decisions they make that are 
maybe questionable decisions. Um, uh, but as a football fan and football purist, I, I don't, I don't like it. I really don't. It, 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 it's something that I don't need. I don't not need giving that. it a chance, huh? Not giving it a chance at all. No, no. I, I, I saw it. I mean, I saw it, and I was like, I don't need it. I, I really don't need it to enjoy the game. Uh, I really don't know what. I really don't want to know uh, what that guy's thinking. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want to. I want to watch the game and enjoy the game. I don't want to hear his explanation for why he threw this this pass. We can do that after the game uh, mm-hmm. at the at the, the you know the press conference. Uh, the other thing, like you said, it it could it could be a slippery slope because we know football is an emotional game, and you're going to have a guy who, you know, at some point he just doesn't get make the play for whatever reason or whatever. He might come to the sideline very emotional. Very whatever, and also you have your inner inner battles with other guys in the game, and you know we saw that with Richard Sherman and, and Crabtree. At it was at after the game uh, when Richard Sherman did the interview when uh, going up against Crabtree when he was with Seattle playing the 49ers. and that that thing was a was a very volatile um, to, to say the least uh, interview, and you you're going to have in game stuff like that. The potential for there for you know disaster is 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 great. You say anything to add to that? <laughs> I mean, I'm just gonna say I would like to hear some of those conversations. You know, I know Byron can kind of like maybe touch on this for us. Is what are some of those conversations, Byron, that like take place on the sideline? Because I know you played with like Terrell Davis and a couple other awesome uh, NFL names. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of conversations that go on on the sideline that, and on the field that you just don't want people having access to. You know, I remember like when guys would be mic'd up for NFL films or whatever, you know, the, the code word was a uh, Donnie Brasco. Um, <laughs> they'd be like, Hey, I'm Donnie Brasco. And that meant you need to watch what you say around me because I'm wearing a wire. I'm mic'd up uh, like the, the, the movie, the old movie, Donnie Brasco. So, but there's some things that, that go on out there. And there's some, some uh, you know, I, I look at it too, play calls that may get told. You know, I don't want to give my opponent any advantage. Um, you know, they were, they're sitting there listening in the huddle to play calls. I, I, just, I just think it's a bit too much. I think football, um, and, and I'll, I'll cut this short, but I've always said this. There's a few things in America that you can sell anywhere in America and you don't have to do much to them, but they will sell. Uh, one is coffee. Uh, the other is hamburgers or cheeseburgers, uh, Coca-Cola and football. You really don't have to mess with those. Every American loves those. Uh, so you don't have to do much. You don't have to do more too much tweaking to it because now you get away from the essence of what it actually is. So I, I just don't need the sideline interviews during the game. I, I'm, I'm good with just the, the game. Well, there you go. There you have it on that. Um, Byron Chamberlain, not a fan of the XFL. So, I mean, no, no, I'm know, a fan of the XFL. <laughs> just to engage. Just the in game interviews. Okay. All right. Sorry. Excuse me. I, well, I'm going to, yeah, I'll give it a chance. I'll, I'll see where it goes from here. I really, I, I do, uh, I, I like the engagement. Um, I think it's cool that you get to see the conversations between the coaches and the quarterbacks and the players and whatnot. 
though again the sideline reporters uh, too dicey but yes that's a different story for a different day but you know a guy I'd love to have a microphone on one of these days in his career wish I could have had a microphone on him if I was any media is Philip Rivers um, who had actually just recently got news that the Chargers will be moving on from him this season um, moving they'll be going their separate ways and of course there was talks that I believe Philip Rivers moved his family to Florida. Um, overall, in terms of the Broncos, they're 16 and 13 overall against Philip Rivers in his career uh, as a Charger. And so now the Chargers are in the market for a quarterback. What does this say for the Denver Broncos moving forward? Not necessarily his services and whatnot, but focusing on the Chargers as a competitor within the AFC West. What can we see from them uh, moving forward this this offseason and into the season next year? I think so. First, you know, it's definitely a positive development because it does give Denver a um, better chance at potentially beating out both Las Vegas and the Chargers to finish second in the division. Now, granted, I will say this, though, the Chargers still have a pretty good defense i think that um that front seven that defense is going to kind of go ahead and carry them while their starter in 2020 continues to get adjusted yeah i i 100 agree with that their defense is what they're going to lean on um but you know there's a lot of rumors floating out there there's a rumor with with tom brady uh possibly coming to the the la chargers uh, which would be very interesting to, to, to replace Rivers with Brady. Um, but, you know, the way I, I kind of see it, as I, I look at what happened in Kansas City this year, I look what happened in Denver um, with Drew Locke and the way he finished the year. And, you know, I can see the Chargers going to a, a youth movement. I, 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 wanna, I could see them saying, hey, okay, we need to find us a young guy, maybe through the draft or whatever, that we can come and and he's going to be our franchise guy uh, because we got to compete with Mahomes for the next 10 to 12 years. Uh, you know, Drew Locke looks like he's going to be a good one, and we may have to compete with him for the next 10 or 12 years. We need to find somebody, not just a Band-Aid for a year or two, but somebody who we can, you know, be our franchise guy, Some some maybe some guy coming out of the draft or whatever that that we believe in. Uh, and that could be our starter for the next 10 to 12 years to, to deal with, you know, what we got to deal with in Denver and in Kansas City. You know, I 100 percent agree with that, Byron. I think that they have to go down the avenue of the youth and uh, look for someone that, you know, has that shows promise and can come in and compete for the starting job rather than just have a bridge quarterback be their Band-Aid. Um, you know, you look at. Is Tom Brady a viable solution? Yeah, sure. You can plug and play Tom Brady all you want, but it's a matter of how long he's got. And honestly, I don't even see him more than two. I don't even see him more than a season. I think he's got a season tops, honestly. Oh, wow. Uh, that uh, That's honestly what I see out of him. And if you were to put him in a situation with the such as the Los Angeles Chargers, do mind you that playing on the road in Denver, it is his worst record on paper yeah, of any of his opponents. Yeah. We're his kryptonite. Yes, we are his kryptonite. He hates playing in the altitude, but so does everybody else that struggles breathing in altitude, myself included. 
I, I don't play, but you know, I've got pneumonia every time I visited Colorado. So, I mean, <laughs> and the environment, it sucks, but I love Colorado nevertheless. Anyway, different story. Um, I think you go into the draft and you look at a guy like Justin Herbert, who is from the West Coast area. He played at Oregon, um, lit up the Rose Bowl, uh, very mobile, uh, lengthy, got a, got hide on him. And people were speculating that he could have been he could make an argument for being the number one overall pick. Uh, and that was kind of the, the discussion as of late. Is it going to be Joe Burrow or is it going to be Justin Herbert? I think what puts Burrow above Herbert is the fact that he had Joe Brady and he had one of the most productive offenses, uh, you know, setting every milestone he did with that LSU offense. Uh, but I think I think otherwise, Justin Herbert is probably the long term solution for the Chargers Uh Moving forward, I definitely evaluate Justin Herbert. And then you've heard people say Tua Tagovailoa. But the one thing I question is his injury history. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like, what is Tua going to be like when he comes back? Is he going to be 100%? There was a report that came out today that said he had a pretty good range of motion in his hip uh, post-surgery. So that that's, you know, that's positive for him. And I'm definitely a Tua fan. He's from my island, Oahu, so I'm definitely a Tua fan. But what is he going to be like actually on the field? That's the yes. that's the question mark. Um, another kid that the, the scouts really like is the kid from uh, Oregon State. The uh, what's his name, Jake uh, Luton. That kid has the NFL size. He has a strong arm. He's one of those guys, you know, maybe even like a like a Daniel Jones mm-hmm. that you don't really see him coming, but a, a team will fall in love with him. And all it takes is one team to fall in love with you. And he might be a, a guy that goes higher than a lot of people think in the draft. He could sneak up in the first round. Uh, I, I could see, you know, him being a, a, a potential guy. Um, and, and all that being said, like I said, it's just about a team falling in love with a quarterback and, and saying, okay, he's going to be our guy. And saying, you know, similar to what uh, the Kansas City Chiefs did with, uh, with Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree. Um, I'm looking at the Chargers stat line right now, and I see the first thing I see is the interceptions to touchdowns ratio. It's the third worst in the league. And so <laughs> I think that it's definitely a point of emphasis. They finished as the 21st ranked offense in the NFL last season. So I think it all starts with the quarterback. And then from there on out in the draft, you have to really evaluate every single position, not just the quarterback. Your defense, like you said, you said the defense is very fine. And I think it's got all the pieces to be successful. Like they say on paper, they're good, but just their record doesn't reflect that. And I think it just starts with the quarterback for the Chargers. You said, do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I definitely agree. You know, the quarterback position is one that um, they're certainly going to have to address this offseason, whether it is via free agency or the NFL draft. I think one guy to kind of keep your eye on as, you know, the scouting combine kind of kicks off Utah State's Jordan Love. He's going to be one of those guys. I know he blew the competition out of the water in uh, Mobile at the Senior Bowl about three weeks ago. I think he could definitely rise. And you could see some teams go ahead and say, you know what? Yes, Jordan Love needs one or two years to really reach his full potential. But you'll see some teams kind of falling in love with uh, Jordan Love over uh, Justin Herbert. 
Now, I, I, I do want to talk about, in terms of Philip Rivers, where do you see him best fit for his future going forward? Do you think you, do you see him retiring next season? Or does he end up with the team because he's still got, quote-unquote, gas in the tank? I I think he's probably going to end up in Tampa Bay playing with Bruce Arians and then end up, you know, just being a bridge quarterback for a year to whoever the Buccaneers decide draft. And in this case, I'm pretty sure I think it's going to be Jacob Eason. Byron, did you have anything to add to that one? <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I don't know. that I, I never thought about Tampa Bay, you know. That that could be an interesting uh, interesting deal. Do you think uh, that uh, Jacksonville is really sold on uh, on Nick Foles? Could no, he but they're guy. Could he be a guy that comes in and, and replace Nick Foles? Uh, I'm just thinking of Florida team since he moved to Florida. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't make sense though, because if you look at if you look at Jameis Winston, he had 30 touchdowns. But he also had 30 interceptions. Like, those are the top two guys for throwing the worst touchdown to interception. Yeah, yeah. I think Jameis is the first guy to to do to join the 30-30 club. There's a lot of guys yeah. in baseball that's done it. But uh, Jameis is the first guy in football. Uh, I, I, like I said, I was thinking about Nick Foles. And, and I know Jacksonville paid him a lot of money to come there. But, you know, he's a guy that's had an awesome playoff run. And basically, that's all he's done is his career. He's been he's been injured. He's been very injury prone. Uh, missed a lot of the season last year. Could he be a guy that you say, okay, we're going to invest in Philip Rivers for a couple of years until we find uh, our franchise guy? You know, see, I disagree with that too because I think Gardner Minshew has proven enough to earn that starting position and earn the respect of that Jaguars locker room to be able to go into next season. And sure, you know, he had his highs and lows this season. A lot of people were like, oh, Minshew mania. And then you just slowly heard him just drop off. But I think if they find other pieces to complement what Minshew is doing, then I think that they can be a successful football team as well. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Like, I know that he got a lot of, he gained a lot of respect in that Jacksonville locker room and with fans, uh, which is important. Uh-huh. I don't know how sold I am on on, on Gardner Minshew. I don't know if I'm I'm quite buying right now, uh, Gardner Minshew. Um, and so I think he's a guy for me. If I was the GM there, I would I would be like, hey, Gardner, you're going to be our guy, but I want you to sit and watch this this old pro, uh, Philip Rivers, and, and learn from him for a year or two. And then we're going to hand you the reins. Uh, to me, that would be my play. And I'd see what I could get uh, for Nick Foles on, on the open market. Okay, now now that kind of makes sense. Okay, as far as the leadership situation goes and bringing in him, okay, makes sense. I agree with that. I think I think that's a, that'd be a pretty good move on Jacksonville's part and might already be in the works. Hell, we don't know. Maybe that's why he migrated south. But Yeah, maybe. Only time will tell. So... Switching gears to a whole nother thing, segue. Let's talk about a little bit about Philip Lindsay. All right. So, first of all, congratulations to Philip Lindsay because he took it to social media on Saturday. I believe it was at Chauncey Billups, one of his uh, galas in Denver, to announce that he's going to be a father. So, congratulations to his family. Uh, and 
of course, great thing for him. Um, I, I'm sure he'll be an excellent father, but I mean, on the field, let's talk about him on the field next season. He's a thousand yard rusher these past two seasons, thousand thousand yard plus. Um, Pat Shermer alluding to last week that he's wanting to incorporate uh, the running backs a lot more next season. And Philip Lindsay is going to have a lot of responsibility on his plate in terms of the passing game. So what could we see in terms of Philip Lindsay um, in Pat Shermer's system? What do you think Philip Lindsay will be uh, best at? And what do you think Philip Lindsay needs to work on going into this offseason in order to complement Pat Shermer's offensive schematics? I would say so. I think you're going to see Philip Lindsay get into, you know, just get out into space a lot more and make tons of plays because when you look at it, um, Shermer, the two years that he was in New York, they really managed to get Saquon Barkley out into space so that he could make some plays. And I think that this offensive core that they built around in Denver, in terms of you have Phil Lindsay, Cortland, Sutton, Noah Fant, those are your big three. Um, I feel like Sutton and Fant, they tremendously will be able to like get out their block, help get Philip Lindsay in space. And as as always, I do expect him to be like the same uh, between the tackles runner when called upon to. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I look at from Philip Lindsay. Like he has excellent hands. Um, he's a good guy. He's a guy that understands, um, it seems as a young guy, he understands the screen game because it's all about timing. And a lot of, a lot of backs get so antsy when they're running the screens and they, they kind of go too early, but you got to kind of sell that. And then once you get out there, uh, understand that, you know, it's not always, I got to catch this ball and get outside. Sometimes it's just hitting it up in there, getting inside of blocks. And he does a great job with the, with the screen game. Um, and I think they'll, they'll utilize that more. But also, I think Philip Lindsay is a guy that you could put out in the slot. You could run some bubble screens with. You could run, uh, you know, slants or other type of routes just to get the ball in his hand, like you said, uh, in space. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that, that with the tremendous, uh, you know, athletic ability and speed, once you get him in space, I mean, big plays are, are bound to happen. Now, I know Terrell Davis for being a between the tackles kind of runner, and it was he was before my time. So I don't really have I watched a little bit of highlights. But Byron, describe what it was like having Terrell. I mean, was Terrell Davis out in the I mean, out in the open kind of guy? Did he make plays out in the open field? I I know this is weird coming from a guy that's a Broncos fan, Uh, but, you know, it's before my time. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) The, the, the thing about Terrell and, uh, was he was an every down back. He never came off the field. Uh, he wasn't the third down guy. He wasn't the first or second down guy. He did it all. And one of his strengths was that we could add to our offenses. When we would go empty, uh, mm-hmm. we would leave him on the field. Uh, so we'd go five wide receivers or we go, we'd go two wide receivers, Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey, and then we'd go two tight ends with Shannon Sharp and myself. And then Terrell Davis, and we split him out into a five wide receiver set. And so teams had to decide what they were going to do. Were they going to play coverage? Were they going to bring extra DBs in the, in the game? Well, we still had a two tight end formation where we could we could check down into you know two tight ends on the line of scrimmage and run Terrell with our zone running scheme there. Or if they're going to bring you know extra linebackers or whatever, we could spread them out. 
he, he was a guy that, that was, it's, as he uh, gave himself the moniker, the route runner, uh, he was a guy <laughs> that, that, that actually ran pretty good routes when you split him out at, at a wide receiver position. So uh, excellent blocker picking up the blitz. And, uh, you know, he was, he was known uh, that he didn't run a great 40 coming out of uh, college at the University of Georgia, but he was hurt. <laughs> but he was definitely a home run hitter. Uh, he was a guy that once he got in the open field, not many people were running him down. Well, I, I mean, I know with with Pat Shermer's offensive scheme, you know, you look for those quick passes and, and they're really short. They're short routes uh, and then the occasional. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Deep ball from what I've been reading and what I've been watching. Um, 64%, I've always referred to this snap when I think of Pat Shermer's run game. Uh, in 2017, when he was the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, 64% of the snaps were run plays. So there's definitely going to be responsibility regardless of Philip Lindsay. But let's say, let's say what if, let's play the what if game here. If you cannot address the speed situation, you can't get a slot in the draft. You go elsewhere, pick a different, go a different avenue. Could you see Philip Lindsay playing a lot more slot? I hope not. <laughs> I know, no, I really, and I, and I say that with no disrespect to the kid because I mean, I'm a, I'm a Philip Lindsay friend from day one. You know, he won me over when he called Terrell and asked him to, to could he wear his number. Uh, that to me, that was a classy act. Uh, not many kids uh, his, his age. Uh, really have that respect for the the game and the type of knowledge of the game that he has for, as far as the history of the game and, and that number. And for him to do that was was extra classy. And then just seeing his journey and knowing where he's come from and to be on the Broncos. Um, I, I Like I said, I was a fan for day one. But to, to answer your question, I just think that's what we got to do. We have to address that position and we can't we cannot do it. We have to find someone that is a threat as a third down receiver, as a slot guy that can can take a lot of pressure off Cortland Sutton. Uh, I think I think Noah Fant is going to be a, a tremendous uh, playmaker at the tight end position and, and going to really help that. But you also need, like I said, that third receiver, that slot guy that can make that you can count on to make big plays. And I don't want I think it's putting too much on on Philip Lindsay's plate if you're going to make him that that guy. Mm-hmm. You say? Yeah, I would definitely agree with what Byron said. I mean, look, I you know, I mean, just being a Bears fan, I've kind of seen how a wide or sorry, a running backs kind of utilized as a wide receiver with Tariq Cohen and Matt Nagy taking the same approach and. Um, certainly, you know, Cohen's another guy that when he gets in space, he can make plays. I think that you guys are right. Denver, this is a deep defense, I'm sorry, deep wide receiver class coming up. So you'll be able to find a guy, right, 
on day two or day three, you know, in those later rounds and just get that slot receiver. And maybe they decide to go with someone in like the second round, for example, like Jalen Rigore or uh, Brandon Ayuk. You know, those are some of the speedsters in this draft that come to my mind that I think will come in and wherever they're drafted, they'll have an instant impact. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think about drafting a guy? And I know teams have a lot, you know, so a lot of people, you know, have these feelings about drafting a wide receiver in the first round. But what do you, what do you guys feel about maybe the Broncos doing that, going out and getting one of the the top guys in the first round? That's music to my ears, Byron. It is absolutely music to my ears. You know, I've I've seen all these these uh, these arguments about not really arguments, but proposals if you will. Hey, let's go after a guy like, uh, you know, let's in general, an offensive lineman, let's just go address the offensive line uh, situation and get it done. And, and then you get some of the guys that are like, Hey, let's maybe, you know, throw the long ball here and try to go after Isaiah Simmons. Who's the star studded inside linebacker for the Clemson Tigers played great during the national championship and his playoff run. But to answer your question, I love the idea of going after a receiver. And I think if you stick at 15, you have a really good shot of landing one of the two being CD lamb or Jerry Judy. And then your fallback situation, since the receiving depth is the cream of the crop in this draft class, you can get Henry Ruggs, who was another Alabama product. And a lot of people were saying that this kid is faster than Tyreek Hill. I haven't seen it. I, I, I don't have an opinion about it. But I've seen there was his top speed was like 24 miles per hour on one of his routes. And Tyreek Hill's top speed during one of his routes maybe last year was like 22. But it was a particular route. Like it was as ESPN a stat as you could get. But – I'm saying that he has the potential to be that speedster to reflect Kansas City's offense. Because I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is beat the team that is an hour and a half that way from me. So, yeah, you know, I I 100 percent agree with you. But I I think this is a such a deep receiver draft that you got to come away with one of them. You got to come away with one of the top guys because it's such a, a deep draft. And to me, it's an investment. In your quarterback, in your future, uh, you know, for the next 10 to 12 years, it's an investment, it's an investment for Drew Locke. And, and, you know, it's it's one of the things that that I wanted to talk to you about earlier when you were talking about Tom Brady. You know, he, was, he said he only got a year. Is it is it is it him or is it just the fact that they have no more weapons uh, in in um, in New England this year? And, and that, that's the thing that that, you know, I. I I, I think it's a must that you give Drew Locke the proper weapons to be successful. Uh, and I, I think you go receiver with your first pick, and then you you build that offensive line. Um, you build, you know, whatever other issues that you have to address after that. But you secure one of the top guys, and that's just going to make because because like we know this going, we you know this going in. If you're going to compete with Kansas City. You got to score some points. You got to score some points. Even even you know when you play great defense like the the San Francisco 49ers, one of the top defenses in the league. Um, they, they were either number 1 or number 2 they finished this year. Mm-hmm. And you know they held them for a long time. But eventually they scored 21 straight points 
uh, back to back to back in, in that Super Bowl. And, you know, they put up 30 plus points. So you're going to compete with Kansas City. You can only hold that. You can only hold them for so long. You got to put up points. So I think we need as many offensive weapons as possible. Mm-hmm. 100%. You said anything to add to that? Yes. Yeah, so I think there's kind of a trend going on with these second year you know, these quarterbacks that are going into the second year in the NFL is that, that second off season with their teams, it's all about building around that quarterback. And in today's NFL, you can never have too many weapons. So Denver's picking at 15. I know some of my uh, good friends that are Broncos fans, they're lobbying for an offensive tackle. Luckily, this is a really deep offensive tackle class too. But uh, if one of those top guys like C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs is there, you got to take one of them because, you know, you're getting a good impact. You're going to get an impact player on the offense regardless, whether it's you go offensive tackle or um, wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when people are being are comparing guys like C.D. Lamb to to people like DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you're getting the same comparison for Jerry Judy, but if that falls into your lap at that certain point, there is no reason why you should not take the opportunity to invest and snag a guy as productive as any of those three receivers that we mentioned. So I definitely think going into the draft, the main priority is going to be able to add speed. And as you alluded to, Byron, I mean, they can be fast, but we have to get faster in order to beat them because we don't have to play them just once in a season. We have to face them twice in a season. And so I, I definitely agree with you on the whole speed aspect of things. And to me, and to me, that's just the trend of where the NFL is going. Uh, these type of offenses with, you know, multiple, multiple weapons. You got to have a tight end who can, who can stretch the field and make big plays. I think we've, We've addressed that. You've got to have uh, a home run hitter in the backfield, uh, someone who can, who can run mm-hmm. the ball, but as well as get out in space, catch the ball, and, and be a threat there. And then just multiple receivers that you know you don't know who, who you're going to double team. And that's the that's the that's the problem that the Kansas City offense faces for for every defense in the league. You know who do you double team? I mean, they got a mm-hmm. legit tight end that. People double team. Uh, so, you know, I would love for us to give in that type of situation. Uh, and, you know, it, it reminds me of what, when we when I played for the Broncos. I mean, we had so many offensive weapons. Uh, Rod Smith, Ed McCaffrey, Shannon Sharp, myself. Um, and then you had Terrell Davis in the backfield. Um, and, and Lethal. What's that? Yeah, you and, and we could put all these guys on the field at the same time, and, and then we had you know the Hall of Famer, the the man John Elway, uh, pulling the trigger. So you had just had a lot you could do, and and it really was like okay, you want to you want to be like uh, uh, Green Bay, and you want to try to take away in Super Bowl thirty two, try to take away our, our passing game, which John only threw for one hundred and twenty three yards. <laughs> Terrell Davis is going to have 150 yards and three touchdowns on him. Okay, you want to try to take away Terrell Davis like uh, Atlanta did in, in, in Super Bowl 33? Well, John Elway is going to have 330 yards passing on you and three touchdowns or whatever. So I want to see our offense get back to to that type of offense where we're, we're very we're highly productive. And it's just going to make our defense that much better because I still think we have a defense, uh, 
a really uh, good top tier defense. I think they're they're they were exposed a little too much as far as being on the field uh, too much in the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's that's where I kind of agree with some of those guys making the argument about maybe in the draft you look at an inside linebacker because we were last in third down situations. Our opposing third down offense or the opposing third down offenses that we went up against, they were able to convert uh, and we were one of the least most productive third down defenses in the NFL. So that's where I definitely see the argument for us getting an inside linebacker because majority of those plays went to the tight end position. And that's kind of been our Achilles heel the past few seasons. So uh, that could be another point of emphasis. But yes, speed. We hit it on the head. Speed kills. Philip Lindsay expect for him to be efficient in the passing game for Pat Shermer. And uh, hopefully he doesn't have to play a lot of slot next year hopefully we have that speed addressed to the slot position and and allow Cortland Sutton to get those occasional deep balls and uh, no offense to be effective across the middle so open form if anybody wants to add anything I pretty much got all my agenda set up and uh, pretty much concluded unless you guys want to add anything to to it to the end of it well, okay, so we would be fools. We just spent all this time discussing the defense. I'm sorry, the offense, right? We yeah. got to discuss the defense now because I feel like, so, <laughs> I, you know, Vic Fangio, that product that he put together in 2018 in Chicago was just four years of work. And I'm excited to see what Fangio can do in his second season because you got Bradley Chubb, you have Von Miller, you know, terrorizing mm-hmm. quarterbacks. I want to see, you know, hopefully they can come to a contract agreement with Justin Simmons. Um, but I'm really super excited to see them potentially get a middle linebacker that's going to fit Fangio's system. And I could, you know, I would even throw this out there. Um, what about a reunion with Danny Trevathan? Because I knew it was coming. He was, in Den- <laughs> he, was, he was in Denver, you know, for the first like four years of his career in Chicago for the last, you know, been here the previous four years. And so he's a free agent. You could poach him away or take a guy like Nick Kwiatkowski, who Fangio had a pretty instrumental, uh, you know, role in developing Kwiatkowski too. I mean, hell throw in Akeem Hicks and we might just have a whole bears reunion. Honestly, <laughs> no, but you know, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm, I'm like, like you said, I'm, I'm interested into seeing the second year in this defense. Um, and a lot of times when the, when you get a new scheme, it takes a couple years for guys to feel comfortable in it. Um, one of the things I, I saw this year that I just didn't like, uh, and, and I know he can do it and he's had success, but I, I've seen Von Miller dropping it into coverage. Well, I'd rather see Von Miller rushing the passer. Uh, but... But uh, you know, I want to see how they transition, how how they how comfortable they are uh, this second year in this defense. And, and like I said, I, I give a lot of it to our offense as well, uh, to our lack of production, especially early on in in, in the first half of the year. Um, we just we just couldn't get anything going offensively, and to have your defense exposed uh, so much. I mean, they, they can only they can only hold up so much, even a great defense. So I, I want to see us be a little more productive on offense. Um, and, and I want to see how these players in this second year, um, you know, in this Vic Fangio defense, how they how comfortable they are in it 
and can they just let it loose and play? Um, and, and I have to address this because I, I was a huge fan of, of Danny Trevathan. I thought he was a great player. I thought he was – I was I, – I would love to see a Trevathan reunion. I think he would too, man. I, I think – I, I, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, what is it with Chicago coaches reuniting with all their old players? I feel like we're talking about Tom Thibodeau, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you got the reference there. Um, no, um, I, Danny Trevathan wasn't bad. I mean, he was there for the two Super Bowls that we went being 48 and 50 and he was a part of both of the, I believe he was injured. I want to say during 48, uh, I could be wrong. I don't. There was a lot of people on the injury list in '48 uh, that that were crucial pieces. That if they would have been out there, it might have changed. Uh, probably wouldn't have changed. No, the probably not. Nah, they're too good of an <laughs> offense. But nevertheless, um, I mean, I, he was productive when he played for Denver, especially under Wade Phillips. He had his best years, but so did our entire linebacking core, and so did our entire secondary. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't be opposed to it because of his past with Denver and plus his chemistry with Fangio that he developed. I mean, he's got the veteran experience, but I'm also at a crossroads because I look at a guy like Corey Littleton and I'm like, come on, man. Like that's Corey Littleton is had just as much as a productive, uh, productive season of any inside linebacker, if you will. I mean, he's top 10 in every single category uh, according to uh, pro football Oh, gosh, I just went blank. PPF, according to PPF. And so, you know, you look at a guy like that, um, I wouldn't be opposed to either one, honestly. Danny Trevathan would be nice to have back because of his veteran leadership, his familiarity with with not only the fan base, but the schematics of things. But Corey Littleton was a name that I was I, I really liked because he can cover the tight end. He's ranked high in almost every single category for PPF. Um yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but it's definitely a point of emphasis nevertheless. And I feel like it needs to be emphasized in free agency. I feel like the secondary is needs to be emphasized in uh, free agency because at this point, Bryce Callahan's a question mark. Uh, it, to me, I think you still have to go out there and re-solidify and restructure uh, the secondary, especially with Chris Harris's departure. Anything to add to that one? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think so. A, th- a key thing to understand is in Fangio's second offseason in Chicago, which was 2016, that's when they invested heavily in middle linebackers in Jarrell Freeman and Danny Trevathan. And I think that you are going to see that this year because the middle linebacker position, when you look at Fangio's defenses in San Francisco, the middle linebacker was always the focal point of the defense. And then obviously having that big five technique there, like Akeem Hicks too, those are the two positions that I really look at that kind of really, uh, Focal points of the defense that I think that they're going to, um, you know, got a good defensive line. They just got to get that middle linebacker there and this defense is going to take off because they have the edge rushers. And I think that a strong front seven like Denver has will definitely mask some of the issues that may linger in the secondary. Byron, anything to add to that one? 
Uh, no, I'm good, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. I will. I will ask this, Byron. You might. You might have one up on this, but you said you can add to this one too. Um, do you think this offseason there's a good chance in free agency that we kind of live up to the same name that we did in 2014 when we acquired uh, acquired names like uh, we signed Akib Talib, TJ Ward, to name a few names? We really approached the defense and uh, made it a point of emphasis. Do you guys think um, that this could definitely be the uh, the long-awaited uh, 2014 Part 2 uh, in free agency for the Denver Broncos. I hope so. I haven't looked um, into how much cap space we have. Sixty, uh, uh, roughly sixty-five million, but don't oh, quote me on that. Okay, well then we got to, we got some space. We got we got some money to work with, and I, and I hope you do because uh, <clears throat> we we still have some key elements on that defense that that can that can that we can build and get back to that type of 2014 defense. Um, and, and so that's what I, I hope we do with this off season. Uh, with the, uh, I'm sorry, with the whole free agency period. And then I hope we really go hard with, like we said, we talked about earlier, getting uh, Drew Locke some weapons in throughout through the draft. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, my, one more thing before before we leave. I will tell you this. So there was speculation, and it's been swirling around here, and I don't know for it to. I don't know if it's a hundred percent true, but there has been talk that Albert Oku, Albert Okuwebenam, one of the teams that have been linked in the later rounds to Albert O, is in fact the Denver Broncos, and I don't know. Where that chatter has come from, I don't think it's necessary. I do not think it's really? necessary. No, because we have Troy Fumagalli and we do have Noah Fant, and I don't, I, I don't know. Fumagalli played pretty, pretty solid with Drew Locke last year, and then also you had Jeff Hireman. But again, Jeff Hireman has been injury prone, so it okay, could be me, an avenue. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. I would love that move. Alberto? I would absolutely love that move. Not just because I'm a tight end. And not because he went to Mizzou, and because I know the he did, and he's a great kid. Um, and uh, I heard that um, from um, AJ Ofadale, who coached him at uh-huh. Mizzou, who's a really good friend of mine, who's now training him for the NFL Combine. That he's uh, he's finally healthy, and he's in tremendous. He's like in the best shape he's been in since mm-hmm. uh, he stepped on campus at Mizzou. I w- and I'm gonna tell you why I love. I would love that move if we could somehow get Albert O. I remember my and I just had this conversation this week because uh, I was helping a, a guy who's writing a book, and you'll know who I'm talking about. Um, when we looked at, at the, the tight end room, uh-huh. we had Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp. Okay, we had Pro Bowler myself. We yes. had Dwayne Carswell, who's a pro bowler, who to me is the best blocking tight end in the history of the, um, the NFL. And then we drafted a guy, Desmond Clark. Oh. He was our fourth tight end. Okay. Uh, and so when you look at the, our tight end room, it was stacked. We always said, we always told people, we got the best tight ends in the NFL, bar none. If you put from top to bottom... Uh, Shannon, myself, Dwayne Cardwell, 
Desmond Clark, who was the guy who didn't play uh, against stack against anybody. I thought we had the best tight ends in the league. Fantastic four. Your Chicago Bears and has a mm-hmm. great career. Uh, I think he's the number two all-time leading tight end in, in Bears history. Um, and so, but we were what we were able to do with all those guys is is put us all on the field, different times, same times, and we and it created just this crazy like matchup nightmare for teams. And I spoke to a little bit to it earlier when you got two tight ends on the field that are capable of blocking and running and whatever, you know, does a team, do you put extra linebackers on the field? Do you put extra DBs on the field? What do you do? Do you play a base defense? You know, it it just, it it creates so many matchup nightmares for defenses. So imagine, you know, on one side, you got, you got Fant and then you got Albert O. Take your pick. (laughs) Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I like uh, one of the things that I like about Fant is he's not the greatest blocker, but he's a willing blocker. Mm-hmm. He, he's willing to mix it up in the running game. Albert O is a guy that can 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 get it done in the running game as well. And so now you can put those two guys on on the field, and Philip Re- Philip Lindsay can have a heyday. You know, hundred percent. I. I- you might have just opened my mind back up I thinking start, about I it. Over? I the, over? Yes. Uh, yes. You, okay. You kind of got me brainstorming. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. In the coming of days, we will find out uh, soon and, enough. And let me throw this in. Yes. The relationship that Drew Locke has with Albert O. Um, you know, that to me, you, you, you know, you can't buy that. You know, so that uh, that comes off. He doesn't have to worry about chemistry. They already got it. They've been playing together for years. So you threw him in the mix, man. I and I think I think too, from from talking to Albert, talking to AJ, um, Albert feel like feels like he has something to prove uh, because he was he wasn't healthy this year and he was gutting out playing playing injured playing you know playing with some nagging stuff that he really couldn't be himself this year. Yeah, I, I I like his potential. I, I I like his potential. I want to see what he does going into this offseason. But I like I like where he's at. I think he's got a lot of promise for the future. Definitely. But anyway, anything else to add for you? You say? Just saying, I love watching Desmond Clark go play. And Albert is actually one guy that I'm pounding the uh, table for, for uh, the Bears, too, because we need a tight end ourselves. So hopefully, the you know, I have a feeling the Bears and Broncos both going to meet with him in uh, Indy in a couple weeks and then bring him in on some visits, right? So, yeah, regardless, he'll be wearing uh, blue and orange next season. And- From everything I know that and everything I'm hearing, uh, he's had an incredible offseason. He's in in incredible shape and he's going to show out at the NFL combine. You know, the guy, I mean, he's already just this physical specimen. And when people Mm -hmm. see him run and when people see him catch the ball and they see how athletic he is in person, he's going to impress a lot of people. Yeah. Well, uh, I will let you guys know this. If I hear anything at pro day, if I see anything at the Mizzou pro day, you guys will be the first one to know. So I promise you that there's going to be five prospects in attendance at the combine. I will be watching them here on campus on their pro day, which the date is to be set. But anyway, for 
Byron Chamberlain, which you can follow him on Twitter again at BC underscore Chamberlain. And Instagram. Same and on Instagram, Twitter and Instagram. Get your fix of Byron on both social media outlets. And also, you say Koshal at you say Koshal on Twitter. And do you have an Instagram you say? I actually do not. Um, the <laughs> main, yeah, I'm, you know, main social media platform I use is just Twitter and Facebook to keep in touch with you guys and then family and friends, obviously. So just. <laughs> you say. Yeah. What's get up? Instagram. Okay, I will. Here's what it's I'll do. 2020. Get it. Yeah. All right, I got you, Byron. I'll uh, create one tonight and then shoot you to a follow. <laughs> and lastly, I'm Keegan Hartman, and you can follow me on Twitter at Keegan Hartman1. I do have an Instagram, but it's pretty boring. So for the Broncos Brawl podcast, thank you for tuning in, guys. I hope you have a great rest of your week. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>